Welcome back to the DHF podcast. My name is Scott McNay. It's good to have you back. And I'll hand it over to Rick Grace, who joins me with our guest this week. Rick, if you would uh, do us the honors of introducing him. I would be more than happy. As Scott said, my name is Rick Grace, and we are uh, more than happy to welcome uh, Tony Kirkman to the podcast this week. Tony has been, uh, what, at the last couple of conferences, you you spoke at a plenary session, did a breakout session this last time. Um, Tony is a licensed, uh, licensed professional counselor, and he is the director of the Pike County Mental Health Agency here in Central Illinois. Uh, but that's not all about Tony. So let's go ahead and introduce Tony, and he can tell us just a little bit more about who you are. <laughs> well, gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm, um, I got different acronyms behind my name, but still trying to figure out mental health myself. So I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor with uh, the state of Illinois, a proud alumni of Lincoln Christian Seminary. Um, and I've been in practice here in mental health in the field for about 22 years, started out cutting my teeth in, um, in foster care, and am a happily married man for soon to be 21 years with two children, one of them just becoming a teenager, so I could welcome all prayers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had another side to you for a while, Tony, where you were, actually, you were involved in pastoral ministry as well. Yeah, that's correct. For 11 years, I served uh, under the ministry, Illini Christian Ministries, where um, I did some private practice as well as some consultations with pastors as they have different life transitions or structure changes, uh, just trying to provide pastoral care, enrichment, and support to the body the best I could. Well, we have been, we being the DHF community, I think for the two times you've presented us, uh, for us, Tony, you have been highly valued and, and very highly evaluated. Mm-hmm. So we're excited. You and, you and I had lunch um, here a couple of weeks ago, and we started talking about just anxiety, um, stress, mm-hmm. um, which is really a cross-generational concept anymore. Let me, let me just tee it up that way for you. What are you seeing in your practice? Uh, I'm seeing the future generations really struggling right now. So one of the topics I was mentioning to you is uh, our agency works with the University of Illinois School of Social Work program to conduct what's called an Illinois Youth Survey. So that is a survey that um, asks all 8th, 10th, and 12th graders a myriad of questions Um, for them to self-report how they're doing. So that's substance use, lifestyle, uh, behavioral health. And some of the results that we're seeing that uh, were collected in early January of this year was quite interesting because we had some results in January 2020. So we're getting here in Illinois a straight-up look of the effects of COVID as well as here in Illinois – they legalized recreational marijuana. And it was very interesting to see some of the results uh, that the teens reported. So yeah, some of the results are coming in and they're, they're, they're interesting and not in a good way. Mm. Take off on that for us. Interesting, okay. but not in a good way. You know, break it down some with some specifics. Okay, so um, one of the questions they ask all 10th and 12th graders is, during the past 12 months, did you ever consider suicide? And 25% of the youth affirmed that, that answer. 
So one out of four students are actively thinking about ending their life. And I would say before their life has really even began. Mm. Um, the other question that is concerning is they ask 8th, 10th, and 12th graders, during the past 12 months, did you ever feel so sad or hopeless almost every day for two weeks or more in a row that you stopped doing an, a usual activity? 47.6% of the 8th graders affirmed that. Mm. 34% of the 10th graders and 42% of the 12th graders. And the way that question is written is um, in behavioral health, one of the identifying characteristics of having a diagnosable mental health issue is, is it, call it causing a social or occupational impairment? And that's why they're writing it exactly that way. So in theory, you could say that 47% of the eighth graders or 42% of the 12th graders could meet criteria for a mental health disorder. Mm. All quite concerning. Um, you know, some of the other stuff that's in there is, and I'm going to be talking to school administrators about this, is they ask a question of, other than your parents, is there an adult in your life that you feel comfortable talking to about difficult things? And 10% of them said, absolutely not. I have nobody. Mm. Um, and I firmly believe one of the cornerstones of a solid mental health um, status is being known and being cared for. And mm -hmm. sadly, I'm, our youth are telling us, we're not, we're not manufacturing these answers. These are self-report, confidential reports. And they are saying, we are emotionally hurting and we have nobody other than mom and dad. And it could possibly be that mom and dad could be contributing factors to that. So then who do you go and tell? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. How is this different from past reports from the same generation. How does this contrast and compare to that? Well, I, I mean, they here in Illinois, they seem to trend about the same. So okay. I'm trying to figure out whether or not COVID has had an effect on it. One specific school, 43% of their 12th graders answered, I'm thinking about killing myself. That is a 15% increase um, in that right. district alone. But I read a stat recently that was just mind-boggling to me that they said that in the last five years that the uh, usage rate of antidepressants among youth ages 12 to 17 has increased by 41%. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So the question kind of becomes, has this problem always been there and it's becoming more socially acceptable to talk about it and raise problems and have them addressed or has something changed to the effect of it's worse than it used to be? Scott, I would probably say both. Okay. I would say that the stigma of mental health in the younger generation, thankfully is decreasing. People yeah. are understanding that we have biochemical issues um, and wellness is wellness. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have any social shame if I had a headache or an upset stomach um, or some diabetes. I would treat that uh, through a medical lens. Mm -hmm. So I think that is, that's, that's increasing there. But sadly, I think that, um, and there, I, I believe there are a lot of different contributing factors. I think that our youth's resilience mm -hmm. is lower. Mm, um, interesting. Okay. Could that be because of the helicopter parents that, you know, refuse to allow their children to face failure and adversity? 
Could it be, sadly, that out of all of the children that receive an antipsychotic or an antidepressant, um, of those kids, only uh, 30% of them are getting behavioral health treatment. So now we're just a medicated generation. We're not a behavioral mm. health generation. Right. I think it's a little bit of everything there. Interesting. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's hard to draw a line from one thing to the next. And so often that's exactly what we're looking for. Like this domino touched that domino and it's so much more chaotic, but there are things that have changed and they've made a difference in our everyday life mm-hmm. and what people experience and, and how they experience it. Yeah. Tony, was there any, any indication on the, the, the survey results I understand the the generation or the, the the respondents having suicidal ideation or thoughts. How many of them acted on that thought? Was there any indication of that in the report? Hmm. No, there's there's not. But I will tell you, sadly, a, a, a local county to both you and I, Rick, um, there's been six uh, youth in the past 18 months that have ended their life. Uh, wow. To suicide, one of them being a 10-year-old female. Mm. So um, I think the problem is, and, and I've talked about it a lot, is we are forgetting that our youth are getting exposed to things that we didn't normally get exposed to until we were an adult. In this mm. informational age, we are getting bombarded with, with news that of school shootings and wars. And, you know, I just rode my bike out until sundown that when I was a kid, you know, and I climbed trees. I didn't know that <laughs> there was problems between Russia and the United States. It didn't affect mm. me, but now, mm-hmm. you know, we've got all those issues and you couple all that. And I'm just going to call them traumatic experiences. Cause I believe there's, there's mm. a lot of research that backs up um, post-traumatic exposure or, um, uh, you know, almost like a PTSD. And, and here's the issue is a, a person's brain does not fully develop until the age of 25. One of the, one mm. of the last things to develop, and so you got to think of a teenager here, is mm. the prefrontal cortex. So it's the stuff that sits right back here. Prefrontal cortex is, is a fascinating part of the brain because it, it, it handles all of your executive functioning. So some of it is um, decision making, impulse control, uh, attention, uh, morality, the being able to assess risk, uh, emotional modulation, um, attuned communication, and some of the more uh, complex social uh, mindsets like empathy. So I'm getting bombarded with all of this trauma. I can't emotionally regulate that and I have Mm. no way to cathartically get it out because I'm still developing emotional language. So Mm. you're feeding the brain with all of this bad and there's no way to, to bleed it out in a healthy Mm. way. Mm. So it comes out in uncontrolled bursts or in very impulsive actions where I don't think about the risk of it. So Mm. I use the example this way is whenever I was a teenager, it snowed a lot. I looked outside and saw a big snow drift. I climbed on top of my garage and tried to execute one of the best WWE moves I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) After I bounced off the ice pile, my mom said, 
What were you thinking? Didn't you realize you could break your neck? And didn't you realize it iced over last night? Mm. Prefrontal <laughs> cortex. <laughs> Tony, you said that doesn't develop till 25. I would challenge that. I've met 80 year olds. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting. We live in such a partisan environment, not to make this political, but whatever, it doesn't even have to be politics. It's so team oriented, but the, the big sort has, has meant neighborhoods, churches, groups of people um, so often work, worship, live alongside of each other that really we don't end up with a lot of um, mixed groups in a lot of places in America. And with that, it becomes us versus them. And we read popular events through our lens, our team's lens, and we can't see it through anyone else's versus there was quite a shared experience, but not to, not to oversimplify, but the world has been through bad times too. If you went back to previous generations going through Vietnam, going through World War II, going through I could talk to family members who lived overseas or when I lived in Japan, there was a, a woman at church who would speak about um, the Americans bombing and they would go into the hills and hide in caves and things like that. That when we don't have that shared experience, when things that don't bind us together are stronger than the things that keep us apart, I think it's hard to have honest conversations about real life issues because everyone already has their facts lined up and it divides us and it divides younger generations against older generations. Now, to be clear, I wasn't as a 16 year old going to my dad for all the advice in the world, but we talked and disagreed and worked on things. And I don't know how much of that when we're afraid to open up anybody in the world, but especially teenagers and online is the only place to really have a, um, a validated communication experience. I don't know that we're helping the youth out at all because we're not in We're not instigating these conversations. And if we are, a lot of times it's with an ax to grind, not, I want to hear out what they're saying. I want to be challenged by what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can we do to open up avenues of communication with with youth? Yeah, I think, uh, and I agree 100%, Scott. I, um, I listened to uh, a sermon this weekend by one of my favorite communicators, uh, Albert Tate. And uh, he said, why are Christians online uh, more of an ambassador for or against mask mandates than for Christ? And more people will know whether or not you're for a vaccine than for Christ mm-hmm. uh, or against it. And I think that we need to go back to community. I mean, I'm old school is, uh, again, you guys being pastors, you're perfect, but let the heathen speak for a second. Um, you mean weekly Scott? or daily when I would mess up, um, we didn't even need a telephone. Like my dad knew what I had done across town before I got home. And it wasn't an idea of shame. It was protecting the community. It Mm -hmm. was holding the community to a standard of wellness. And now 
you don't dare tell me about my kid. My kid's perfect. And what he tells me happened at school, happened at school. Forget your education and the fact that you are 35 years older or even older than that. And you've been giving your, your term to education. I know my son would never misbehave. Mm-hmm. So again, I think we're with that. I think we're the, the against and the for generation. Um, so I think, especially when we're talking about youth in, in the later years, all the good principal stuff should have been driven down into our kids in the primary years. And when you're in a youth area, you're more like a player coach, like you're in the game, mm-hmm. but you're also going to let your kid, you're going to control the, the risk of failure. They need mm-hmm. to fail. They need to learn hard lessons, but you can control what that rock bottom looks like. Um, I would tell you, I would probably say one of the best things parents can do is find a trusted friend that's an adult that will befriend their children. Because, you know, I could tell my boys something until I'm blue in the face. But if Rick would say it, oh, well, let me tell you what Rick had to say. It's so wise. Yes. (laughs) So wise. I've never heard that before. So I think that would help us in community is like, have somebody befriend your kid that's a trusted good, um, um, moral adult yeah. that can help you out. Yeah. And unfortunately we do this in church. We split everyone up generationally. So older generations don't have contact with younger generations. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately that this could be the time for the church to shine when it comes to diversity, mm-hmm. simply in age groups, but we have found it convenient to streamline things based on age groups. And quite oftentimes, kids that ride through that 18 to 25 at church from youth group graduation into a vocation, and they don't fall out, is often because they have relationships with older people at church. And it doesn't have to be the oldest people at church, but they have an actual relationship. And that means they belong. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree 100%. It's, it's much different that if my son, my oldest son's name is Isaac, if Isaac is accepted or Tony's son is accepted, like he has his own identity. So I agree with you 100%. And, yeah. and that's the concern is, you know, are our kids known and are they cared for? Mm, amen. And, mm-hmm. and, by, and by more than just, more than just the parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, Tony, you, you talked about being old school. I'm just old. Okay, <laughs> so, so that's my advantage. But I learned, you know, even in my training, you know, coming up with, you know, through my degree work and that kind of stuff, that we heal better in community. Mm-hmm. Okay. One of the things the pandemic robbed us of was that sense of community. Mm-hmm. And our, our kids got isolated. Our, our adults got isolated. Um, Pastors, um, Scott, this is in your world and mine. The, the, the Barna group has, has suggested that as, as high as 50% of all pastors in the U.S. are now on medication for depression. Mm. You know, so it, it, which, which the, the, the pandemic has exacerbated. Mm-hmm. But Tony, as, as, as a believer, and I love your heart for Christ, as a believer who's also a mental health professional, what are we missing in the church? What can we in our local churches do to address that? If this is not a pandemic of, of, of mental health, 
it certainly is. It, it, it certainly is a. What's the other word? Uh, yeah, not. Yeah, anyway, it's a problem. Okay. Yeah. Epi- epidemic. What, what, epidemic. Thank you. All I could think of was academic. I knew that wasn't right. <laughs> See, I told you I'm old. So what? What? What can we in the church give us a prescription? What can we do? Uh, I don't have the prescription, but I'll tell you something that I recently heard about, and it makes me think about why aren't we doing this at the church? Um, I, I never, I flirted with the church. I never dated the church. I showed up whenever the, you know, my cousin, uh, they were having a, who could pack the most family members into the pew to win a bike. And he said I could ride his bike over the weekend. So I showed up. Um, I wasn't known. And, and so I heard this amazing example done by a local superintendent, and she gives credit and says, I borrowed it from somewhere else. But it's a very simple activity. She took every single kid that was enrolled in her school, a full roster, wrote their name down, and put it on a huge post-it note and plastered them all over the wall, every single kid. Then she went to her faculty and to her administrators, and she gave them five of those old school metal star stickers, you know? Mm-hmm. And she said, I want you to put a star next to the kids' names that you have the strongest relationship with. Mm-hmm. And they all ran up to the board, and they put stars up on all the kids. And what ended up happening after they sat back down, they started to weep. Because they saw the students that didn't have a single star. Mm-hmm. They fell through the cracks. They had no relationship. They weren't known. And so one of the things she said, she goes, I knew I had the right team because they cried. Mm-hmm. So we, we knew the what, we knew the who, and we know the when, which is right now. Mm-hmm. We just needed to figure out the how. And so I would just say in your, and I'm, I'm talking children and youth, what would it look like if you had your youth pastor or children's pastor or whoever's in charge of that and all of the volunteers take your full roster and lay it out and give them five stars? Mm. I think immediately you could have an impact uh, on a child's life because you would see who's missing. Wow. Yeah. Scott, you're a local church pastor. Are you going to do it? Yeah, I think that's something we could do. We would even extend it. The beauty of a small community is is how much people's lives just kind of overflow into the community, but extending that into elders, deacons, and board, I, they're not really official titles and, and positions as much as leaders in the church. And that's exactly the people I'd like to see the relationships built with because it's not about them trying to be hip so kids think they're fun. And no, it's just about them being people they can rely on that know their name, that keep up with what they do and can mm-hmm. ask about those things. Um, mm-hmm. This and morning, recognize Stella, when they're not there. that's right, right. Absolutely. This morning, Stella uh, was in my office when uh, the deacon that does children's moment called and we were chatting and I said, Oh, Stella has something she needs to tell you. And I put her on speakerphone and she had jumped off the diving board just I don't know, 50 times yesterday. And she was just like, her arms didn't work today because they were so tired. But the idea that she was in the deep end swimming, this deacon is a former Marine and all kids being uh, swimmers are important to him. And so he was bragging on her. And every week when he calls me to check in about children's moment, he's asking about my kids. And 
the actual interest and then follow through will translate into relationship. It's, it, it just happens naturally. Belonging somewhere is right now the church's most powerful gift. And it's been that way through the ages, but right now people don't know what they belong to, if anything. And if the church could wake up to that, where mm-hmm. older people had a desire to show younger people they belong, not for like, well, they're the future of the church and we need them to stay alive. But as people, that would transform things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry Crabb was a, a, Tony, I don't know if that's a name that, that, that you recognize, but Larry Crabb was one of the early movers and shakers in the Christian counseling movement. And he kind of redid some, some well-known psychological ideas and principles. But he said the two, the two highest emotional needs that we all have is a sense that I matter mm-hmm. and a sense that I belong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he based that on, on, on Romans 5, mm-hmm. um, that, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. We matter. Mm. And if Christ has done that for us when we were separated from him, how much is he going to pull us into that sense of belonging in the community? And I've, and I've, I've just long remembered those, those, those two conceptions. And that, man, that specifically addresses that sense of belonging. And, and by the way, for our audience, Stella is Scott's youngest daughter. Just mm-hmm. so, <laughs> just try. In case anybody's wondering who Stella is. We've got the youngest one swimming, so it's a good day in the McNay house. <laughs> it's my fear to live. So. Yeah, and I would uh, promote, I've been reading uh, You Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble, Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. And uh, it's pretty brilliant. He spends about half the book diagnosing our problem, and uh, it is, you will find all kinds of practical things in it. But he's not going to hold back. (laughs) (laughs) I found an interesting article that was saying three of the most helpful characteristics of youth to help, not necessarily prevent, but to stave off the effects of mental health is the number one, and it was all the way through the age category. So they had them broken up. The number one trait was curiosity. Mm. I thought that was interesting. So the traits go like this. uh, Behaviors exhibited by youth to help stave off severe mental health is curiosity, persistence, and self-control. Those were the top three. That is good. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting list. That's not what a lot of people are talking about. No. Yeah. Obviously, in the earlier stages is one of the things is affection or affirmation. Again, going back to knowing we're belonging. But uh, there's a wonderful book just called Grit. And it talks about tenacity of why do some people in lower socioeconomic status, um, you know, uh, marginalized communities seem to repeat some cultural sins. And then the same people in that environment seem to excel or, or to get out of that. Hmm. And, and, and they talk about grit, but that's, yeah, that's that persistence. But I think curiosity of do I have to accept the world as it is or maybe I can figure out the meaning behind that? Um, I think that's even in another, um, uh, even just interpersonally. Isn't that an interesting um, behavior to have is I might, nobody does any, well, very few people do things intentionally to be ignorant. 
No one says I'm going to be stupid. They, it all makes sense right. to them. Maybe not to me, but it makes sense to them. So now I got to have this curiosity of, I think you're completely wrong, but why do you think that way? Mm. At least it leaves the dialogue open. Yeah, I was going to say, this is, I, I think those two things paired together have got to be one of the healthiest things for relationships or you get tired of people. Curiosity and persistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing one will take the life out of the other. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then also self-control, not to act upon your initial um, intuitions. Yeah. but There are a lot of things to be curious about and stay away from. So anyway. Right. I mean, again, 1 Corinthians 13 says that's one of the characteristics of love is to be patient Mm -hmm. with each other. So I think you're completely wrong, and I don't agree with your worldview at all, but I can sit in that patience and love you. Man, that's what our world needs. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Tony, this thank you. Thank you for, for being willing to give up your lunch hour to, yeah, uh, man. to talk sure. with, with, with Scott and me. Um, let's, you know, looking at the time, we probably need to, to, to start moving this to a conclusion. Yeah. But we like to, we've kind of gotten in the habit of closing these. We're just saying, what are you reading or what would you recommend for a parent or youth worker or whatever? What would you, what, what's a good read for us? Well, um, I'm reading something right now calling Crying in the H-Mart, but it's for for Koreans that are trying to figure out how to live up to their parents' standards of things. But um, I think, uh, um, again, if you haven't, probably the easiest one is Love Languages for Children or for Youth. Just understanding how do you communicate, going back to... um, caring for them and not caring for them in a way that you care for them, but caring for them in a way that they understand that you're caring for them. Um, We didn't even touch the stuff about uh, adverse childhood experiences or better known as ACEs, but uh, I know we've talked before about uh, the book of how the body keeps the score about trauma exposure. That's a big thing. Um, Gosh, uh, you would call me on the spot and I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, the lot, get out of, get out of my head, I think is a book by Jenny, Jenny Highland, I think, about the lies that we tell ourselves and they believe. Um, and then the one I just finished up that I love is Atlas of the Mind. Uh, Atlas of the Heart, sorry. Atlas of the Heart. And it's by uh, Brene Brown. But anything uh, she writes, you can't go wrong with. So, <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, we'll have those yeah. in the show notes. That's fantastic. There you go. Well, Scott, I don't know about you, but I, I think we need to have Tony back. Yes, absolutely. I think we have yet to draw uh, enough out of this well that uh, has so much to say for the church and the health of Christians that, uh, I mean, statistically, the people in our church, they're hurting in ways that we don't know. And it does no one a service um, if we are not in tune to what's going on in our own backyard. Yeah. And agree wholeheartedly, and we do our church a disservice if we begin with the assumption that the statistics that Tony started with aren't true about the kids in our churches. Amen. Because That's they right. are. They are. Absolutely. Tony, yeah, bless you, my friend. I It's, it's a privilege to call you friend. Um, and if an my interview point. like this is, is, is the cost of taking you out for lunch every now and then, I'm I'm good with doing this regularly, man. (laughs) Well, I sadly, I have a lot of information about mental health and 1980s wrestling. So if you ever go that route, (laughs) 
we can go there too. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tony, for coming on the show. And it, don't forget to rate us and subscribe and share the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We appreciate you all listening in today on the DHF podcast. <laughs>